<laughs> I'm already a little riled up, so this topic that we're going to be talking about is going to rile me up, all right, because it's so misunderstood today. Now, last week, we looked at the doctrine of justification, and we saw that this doctrine <laughs> is the doctrine upon which the church will stand or fall. But it's also the doctrine upon which your life will stand or fall. If we get justification by faith alone wrong, we get Christianity wrong. If we get justification wrong, we get sanctification wrong. If justification, in other words, is not clear to your mind and real to your heart, you're going to be an unhealthy Christian. If justification is not clear to the mind and the hearts of pastors and church leaders, it will lead to unhealthy churches where the members are going to be greatly affected. It's going to affect their lives. It's going to affect their marriages. It's going to affect the way they parent. It's going to affect their neighborhoods. If we get this doctrine wrong, we get Christianity wrong. Now, what we're going to see today um, as we look at sanctification is why the gospel, it's not the ABCs. Clay alluded to this earlier. It's not step one, two, three, oh, and then I move on to something else. The gospel is the A through Z of the Christian life from beginning to end. And here's my proposition this morning. We don't leave God's grace and move on to something else. <laughs> we move more into God's grace. And let's find out how. We have a lot of scriptures to read, but they're not that long. So let's start with Galatians 2, verses 17 to 21. And again, just know I'm not going to... I'm not going to fully expound on all of them. Uh, I'm going to use them to deal with what the topic is. So Paul tells us, but if our, 17, yes, 17, we're starting with, I'm going to make sure. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, this is known as a second cl class conditional clause, okay, which means a contrary to fact clause. And here's how it works. The first two statements are true, which means the third statement is false. Okay, it's contrary to the first two. So here's what he says. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, true, we too were found to be sinners, true, both are true, then is Christ a servant of sin? False. And we'll see why, okay? But certainly not, Paul says, just in case the condition class cause did not hit home with you grammatically. Now I'm going to use the most strongest word in the Greek language, meganoito. May it never, ever, ever, ever be. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And this is one of the most famous verses, but it's also misunderstood. 
This is the most self-centered verse, which is actually the most selfless verse. <laughs> Notice how many times Paul says, I, here, okay? And then you're going to see what he's really meaning. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> Which means the Christian life's not about you. It's about Jesus in you. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now jump to chapter 5, <coughs> verses 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now we go to Colossians chapter 2. Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, Philippians 2. Go back to it. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. After this Mount Everest explanation of who Jesus is. Now listen to what Paul says in light of that. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to act for his good pleasure. Now, 2 Corinthians 3.18, jump to the left. And we, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And now, flip all the way over to the right and if you hit Revelation, turn left, immediately turn left. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is the word of the Lord. All right, now pray, jump in. Now, here it is. Because justification is God declaring us to be righteous when we're not, <laughs> Instead of viewing Hebrews 11 and calling Hebrews 11 the great hall of faith, shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't all the famous people in the Bible really be called the league of failures? Right? Why? Because only ungodly people are justified. Only unrighteous people are justified. <laughs> 
And this truth actually causes a conflict and a tension in the Christian life. See, how can I be declared righteous when I know I'm not? How can God view me and treat me as if I'm righteous when I still sin? Because of this tension, here's something we must understand. When God declares us to be righteous, it is only because of Jesus' righteousness being credited to our account. It's not a righteousness of our own. It's his. And when God declares us to be righteous, this is an irreversible and an irrevocable verdict. So it cannot change. It cannot be removed. It cannot be taken away. We're covered now in the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is the only person in all of history who is righteous. And he recovers righteousness for unrighteous people. And because he has the Christian life now, it is all about trusting and depending more and more on him and less and less upon ourselves. Which means sanctification, in other words, it's growing more and more in an awareness of your sin and your need for Jesus. So think about that. Clay said it earlier. Sanctification is not about getting stronger and stronger. (laughs) It's not about sinning less and less. It's not about living your life now as if you don't need him. No. (laughs) Sanctification is growing in an awareness of just how sinful we really are and just how weak we really are so that we would stop relying on ourselves and depend and trust more and more on Jesus. See, some of you heard this. If you're visiting with us, you you haven't heard me say this. Others, you're going to know exactly what I'm about to say right now. Your view of sin... And your view of Jesus and his grace will rise or fall proportionately. If you're not that bad, then who Jesus is and what he did is not that great to you. But if you are that bad, then how great is Jesus and what he's done for you? This is humbling, isn't it? But do you see how this works? You see, the more we grow in understanding our weakness and need for Jesus, what happens? The more our affection for him grows. And the more that our affection for him grows, doesn't that make us want to be more like him? But here's where the tension and the conflict comes. Because if I'm declared to be righteous and yet I know I'm not, If I'm justified and covered in Jesus' righteousness, then why do I still sin? Why is there this contradiction within me where I want to please God, but I also want to sin? (laughs) Answer, because we're not glorified yet. We have been redeemed and are declared to be righteous, but we are not fully made righteous until glory. 
We have been justified once and for all, but now we're in the process of being sanctified, where we are continually being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And then one day we're going to see him face to face. And when we see him face to face, we will immediately be transformed into his image perfectly. So now we live with a tension <laughs> called the now and the not yet. Right now we are declared righteous, but we are not yet perfectly made righteous. That's then in glory. So now because of this tension we struggle. We struggle to believe and to trust in what God says, especially when what he says contradicts what we do. This is why Martin Luther said a big part of our sanctification is getting used to our justification. Listen to how Paul says it in Galatians 2, 17 to 21. Now, this is in the context right after Paul confronted Peter for being a racist. Paul confronts Peter because Peter's not living in line with the truth of the gospel. So he says in verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, having believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Who's he pushing justification on? Christians. <laughs> An apostle <laughs> who forgets. Christians constantly and continually need to be reminded that their standing before God has nothing to do with them. Has everything to do with what Jesus has done for them. Well, why do we constantly need to be reminded of this? Because of verse 17. Right? What I tell you, that two things are true simultaneously. What is Paul saying Every Christian is a justified sinner. <laughs> Every Christian is simultaneously declared by God to be righteous and yet still continues to sin. Which means every Christian is flawed, broken, weak, needy, and full of sin while at the same time being accepted, being embraced, being welcomed, being declared to be righteous and deeply loved by God. Simultaneously, we are more sinful than we ever thought, and yet we are viewed by God as if we are completely righteous. And that's hard to believe, isn't it? <laughs> This is why faith and repentance go together, okay? Because Christians are justified sinners, the normal Christian life is a life of repentance. See, Paul tells us that his gospel does not prom promote sin. Why? Because his gospel pronounces to all who believe it, believe it you are deeply loved failures. 
And that is good news for people who know they fail, doesn't it? For people who continually fail God and fail one another. Man, look at verse 21 of Galatians 2. If you're not a failure, then you don't need Jesus. Because what does Paul say? If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is why we don't move on from the gospel. We move deeper into it. Look at Galatians. No, not Galatians. We're, yes, Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, catch this, in the flesh. The life that I now live in the flesh. How does he live? By faith. Notice how personal this is. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. See, the Christian life, it isn't about me. It isn't about you. It's about Jesus in you. The Christian life, in other words, it's all about forgetting yourself and focusing on Jesus. It's about trusting more and more in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to grow in sanctification in Christ's likeness, our faith in Jesus needs to grow. <laughs> and this is where it gets hard. Because when Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, what is he acknowledging? We still live in the flesh. We still have our sinful nature. <laughs> or as he says in Romans 7, we still carry around this body of death. So we are made new, but we still have our old desires. Okay? This is why now in Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Because Christians aren't glorified yet, because we still live in the flesh, we must understand something. The flesh is not a friend. It is an enemy. It is an enemy that opposes everything that God loves. And its ultimate goal is to destroy you. And I want you to notice a couple of things about what Paul says in Galatians. First, he says, walk by the Spirit. He does not say run, ride, or fly by the Spirit. Which means what? Walking is the slowest means of travel. Walking is something we do every day. Walking is natural. Walking is routine. Walking is regular. There's nothing spectacular about walking. <laughs> so, walking by the Spirit, it's not a fast-paced, get-to-the-final-destination-as-quickly-as-you-can sort of a thing. Sanctification is slow. It's a lifelong process. Second, I want you to notice Paul connects walking 
by the Spirit with walking into a war. And this is where we get to the heart of it. While we are walking by the Spirit in normal everyday life, we're walking into a war between two opposing desires. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. This war, doesn't it explain the duality within you? This war between two opposing desires, doesn't it explain the contradiction <laughs> within you? I mean, the flesh desires everything contrary and against what the Spirit desires. The Spirit desires everything contrary to and against what the flesh desires. You want to obey, but you also want to sin. And we're going to look more at this next week because this, this sounds like Paul's struggle in Romans 7. And that's what we're going to look at next week. But here it is. You've got to get this. If your view of sanctification leads you to peacetime conditions where there's no struggle, where there's no resistance, where there's no conflict where you're getting better and better without conflict, then I can say with confidence you are not walking by the Holy Spirit. Because we still live in the flesh, the Holy Spirit now leads us into battle against it. A war where Christians are going to get wounded. When Christians seek to gratify the flesh's desires, they sin and get wounded. This war, it's always taking place. This war will never go away until glory. Now, I don't know about you, but instead of depressing me, knowing that this is going to go on for the rest of my life, <laughs> actually comforts me because I know I'm not alone. This is true of every Christian. Every Christian has this duality and contradiction in them between two opposing desires. And this is what's interesting because if there is no war, if there is no conflict, then guess what? You're not a Christian. Because you have nothing opposing the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit is the contrary influence to the flesh. So here's, so what is assurance? A Christian's assurance comes more from the fact that they struggle with sin than having constant victory over it. The struggle, in other words, the presence of a war within is evidence that the Spirit is there. So if there's no struggle, there's no contrary influence. So when Paul says walk by the Spirit, and, and what that means is that we're walking into a war, now he tells us literally what 
that war involves. See, this word for desires, it has an adjective before it, epi, (laughs) mega. So what is Paul saying? This war is between mega desires, desires that become so epic in your life that they seek to take God's place, which means these are desires that seek to dominate you. These are desires that seek to control and influence you. These are desires that seek to reign and rule over you. The epi desires of the flesh, in other words, they seek to take God's place as Savior and Lord over your life. Now, this is what's interesting because because the flesh desires everything contrary to the Spirit, That means that the flesh then desires to fill itself with anything and everything that's not God. And here's where the wounds come from, and you must understand this, because only God can fill you. (laughs) That means that the flesh is always empty and hungry. That means the flesh is always seeking and yet starving. There is never a time that your flesh does not desire its own satisfaction and its own exaltation. For the Christian, It's always waging a war within them against what the Spirit desires. And when we gratify the flesh's epi desires, we get wounded and the war within intensifies. Because of the guilt that we feel when we sin, we become more uncertain about the way that God views us. We begin to doubt whether our standing with God is still secure or not. And when we are uncertain and insecure of God's love, there is an ache in our soul, a wound caused by sin. And when that happens, the flesh does not want you to rest and find healing in Jesus. It wants you to run to yourself or to other things where you will try to fix your sin problem through your own power and effort, or where you will try to fill your emptiness with the things of this world. See, when you try to fix or fill your emptiness with self-effort or with the things of the world, what happens? The war within you gets more intense. Why? Because the longer you remain unfulfilled, the stronger your desire to be fulfilled comes to the point where I have to fill it. I must fill it. It's become epic in your life. So what's really going on here then? The flesh is trying to save and satisfy itself with anything and everything other than Jesus. So how in the world are we to walk by the Spirit in this war? Colossians 2, 
Paul tells us. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. (laughs) How did your Christian life start? By grace through faith. How are we to walk? By grace through faith. In other words, we are to walk in the Christian life the same way the Christian life started. And I'll flip back to Philippians 2, because Paul's going to get a little bit more specific here. He's going to use different terminology. Instead of walking, he's going to say, work out. (laughs) Why do you go to the gym? To work out, to get stronger, to build your muscles, to stay healthy. Right? So, what's absolutely fascinating is Paul is putting the glory of Jesus in verses 3 through 11 side by side now in verse 12 through 13 with telling us this is what you need to do. <laughs> but we got to understand why Paul's putting them together and review, okay? Chapter 3, he's commanding us do nothing from selfish ambition, or chapter 2, verse 3. He's commanding us to do nothing from selfish ambition or vain, empty conceit. Do nothing to draw attention to yourself. Do nothing to seek to get the credit. Do nothing to make yourself appear better than other people. I would say it this way. Do nothing to make yourself big. When you seek to make yourself big, Paul says it's empty conceit. It is vain, worthless glory. Why? Because when you try to make yourself big, the focus is on you. It's not on others. See, Paul goes on to say, well, before that, I got to say this because this is big. (laughs) When you seek to make yourself big, what happens? Jesus gets smaller and smaller to you. When you seek to make yourself big, it breeds competitive, competitiveness and rivalry with others. When you seek to make yourself big, it causes friction and fractures relationships. When you seek to make yourself big, it causes disunity and it divides. So instead of the vain pursuit of trying to make yourself big, Paul says, live in humility like Jesus did. Count others as more significant than yourself. Look to the interests of others. In other words, forget yourself so you can be mindful of others. Because this is the mindset that Jesus has towards you. In verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. See, before Jesus took on flesh and became human, he was and he is the very character, essence, and nature of God, right? So as God, Jesus viewed equality with God as something not to hold on to. It's not grasping for greatness. It's giving up greatness for the good of others. See, Jesus is showing us the very essence, character, and nature of God here. He's not a God who seeks to get. He's a God who selflessly, sacrificially gives. 
for the good of others. So rather than pursuing empty glory through selfish ambition, Jesus emptied himself of his glory. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He made himself nothing, taking on the lowest form possible, the very character and nature of a slave. A slave whose sole purpose in life is to serve and meet the needs of others. This is how low Jesus descended for us and for his Father's glory. Jesus emptied himself, in other words, to fill us. Jesus humbled himself to become like us so that we could become like him. So that we could have God's acceptance. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did this so that we could have God's favor, so we could have God's love, so that we would know the reality of God's selfless, sacrificial love. And now, because Jesus let go of his greatness as God and lived for his Father's glory and for our good, what does God do? God highly exalts him above all things, gives him the name that is above every name. As I said, which means what's the ultimate goal of human history? It's the exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord. And now, in verses 12 through 13, Paul's putting that (laughs) side by side by saying, now here's what I want you to do. Okay? So, why is he putting them together? Because Paul's showing us how sanctification works. (laughs) he's showing us how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus' self-sacrificing love. And here's the interesting thing. Paul, he's he's, he's not commanding us to obey like Jesus. He's commanding us to work out in our lives the glory of who Jesus is and what he did to save us. In other words, we're to lift the weight of Jesus' glory in order to grow. We are to live in the reality, work out and live in the reality that Jesus really did accomplish your salvation. Work out the fact that your salvation is strictly of God's grace. I would say it this way, learn how to build your messy life around the gospel. Lift the weight of Jesus' glory as a slave in order to save you. See, here's what happens. Well, no, before we look at what happens. Work out the reality that your sins are forgiven. Work out and live out the reality that you're covered in Jesus' righteousness, and that will never change. You see, when we work this out, what does God say? What does Paul say? God, through the Holy Spirit, does a work in you. When we work out the reality of Jesus' salvation for us, the Holy Spirit does something in us. He works something in us. What? What does he work in us? Two things, both the willing and the doing which means God changes our desires and then he creates the action. 
God works in us, in other words, to give us the same lowly, humble mindset of Jesus. He changes our desires for selfish ambition and trying to make ourselves big to where we actually become slaves who are willing to give up their greatness to make others great. A slave who really does consider others as more important than themselves. Now, if I haven't been clear on what sanctification is and how God sanctifies us, look at 2 Corinthians 3.18 because we got to wrap this up. Paul says, and we with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. Catch this. When we behold, look at, gaze at, fix our attention upon, study, contemplate, what? The glory of the Lord. When we look at the glory of the Lord, what happens? What does Paul say happens? We're being transformed. More and more into that image. Who does the transforming know, according to Paul? Oh, the Holy Spirit. So, when we fix our attention upon, when we study, contemplate, look at the glory of who God is, the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more into that image. But jump down to chapter 4, verse 6, because Paul tells us specifically what the glory of the Lord is, that we're to fix our attention upon. The glory of God as it shines in the face of Christ. When we behold and gaze upon the glory of God as it shines in the face of Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more and more into His image. So here's how we got to end. 1 John 3. (laughs) See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. Catch this. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he really is. We don't know what glory is going to be like. But Paul says we do know something, though. What? When we see him. We will become like him. How does change happen? By seeing Jesus. If that's the ultimate goal then, then is not seeing Jesus in God's word the ultimate goal now? So, what is it? See him, behold him, look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will transform you more and more into his image. So, what am I really trying to say? It's so simple. What is sanctification? Is sanctification not the Holy Spirit causing you to fall more and more in love with Jesus? And when you fall more and more in love with him, you display him. 